Welcome to Music and Medicine. My name is Jacques Osmo, and music is my life. In this show, we will discuss the newest research on the intersection of music and medicine from scientific, musical, and historical perspectives. And most importantly, I hope that what you hear in this program will help you identify how to use music to make your own life healthier and happier. It is a great pleasure to have with us today Dr. Francisco Lara. Dr. Lara is an ethnomusicologist and musician with pedagogical research and performance interest in the music and culture of Latin America, Afro-Latin America, and music, health, and wellness. He's on the faculty at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. Pacho, welcome. Thank you, Jacques. It's a pleasure to be here and to be here with your listening audience. Of particular interest to us today is, of course, your work in the area of music, health, and wellness. At Rhodes College, you teach an extremely popular course called Music and Healing, which is something that we have in common. Given that you're an ethnomusicologist, can you tell us about your approach to this area? Yeah, thank you. Well, my approach is, uh, generally speaking, more holistic, uh, considering my background and interest in looking at cross-cultural perspectives. And so I, I tend to approach this in terms of the intersection of music, health, and wellness, like you had mentioned. Uh, much of the discussion around music and healing right now really does um, seem to focus, for good reason, reason, on music as a medical intervention. And that's fantastic, but I think there is an opportunity to broaden the scope a little bit um, to look at uh, how, as an ethnomusicologist, of course, we're looking at how we make music meaningful in our own lives. And if you look at that from a historical and cross-cultural perspective, you begin to realize that regardless of what other issues you want to tease out of that, um, the, the question of health and wellness always seems to be there as well. Um, so uh, looking at uh, how we use music, whether you're looking at it from a community building perspective to heal in, as an individual or as a community, uh, those are the perspectives I tend to bring into the course and what I'm mainly interested in. And then in addition to that, for personal reasons, I'm looking also at music in connection with uh, spirituality. This is a very interesting area, of course, as many of the healing properties of music and therapeutical uses of music are embedded in culture. I'm sure that our listeners will be very interested in hearing about contemporary cross-cultural perspectives of music and healing. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, we, you know, we're in Memphis, Tennessee. We don't have to go very far when we look at the history, the historical context in the civil rights movement um, and how music was used there to help not only to uh, build community, uh, but also to, to motivate and inspire people during the civil rights era to push forward for their basic rights. Also, there's another part to that. You know, there's a therapeutic component to that, considering everything that they were facing. When you think about um, the, 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 the trauma that's involved in uh, discrimina discrimination, race-based discrimination, especially here in the United States, there's a lot of healing that has been taking place historically. Um, here in the United States, but and it seemed to have come to a head, I think, well, it still is, but obviously during the civil rights era, and it was really interesting. It's interesting to see how music just kind of, it, it comes out like um, flowers or grass through the cracks in, in concrete, for example, right? It just flourishes. You can't contain it. Um, and I think 
there is an element of yes, we're going to we're going to speak our truth here, but in doing so, uh, there's a cathartic. Ex- that's a cathartic experience, and in those cathartic experiences, there's room for for healing and for bridging some of those um, uh, differences. Can you tell us about the types of music that played a significant role during the civil rights era? Yeah, well, there there's a, a lot. A lot of spirituals were used, for example. Uh, gospel music always comes, you know, Mahalia Jackson, for example. We could talk about the, the, the music coming from the folk music side of things. Pete Seeger. During moments of struggle, it seems that there often just arises a song. Uh, and, and it's gonna, it makes sense to me that the song that would arise, especially for the, the African-American community, with that strong connection to the church, would come from the gospel or spiritual context. just heard We Shall Overcome, performed by Mahalia Jackson. We Shall Overcome is a gospel song which became a protest song and a key anthem of the American civil rights movement. 
Today, we are speaking with Dr. Francisco Lara. Dr. Lara is an ethnomusicologist and musician focusing on the music and culture of Latin America, Afro-Latin America, and music, health, and wellness. Now, along similar lines, there have been traditions of using music in healing, both individual healing and the healing of the community, throughout the entire recorded history. We find this in different countries, different cultures, different continents. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, yeah. Well, I can start from my area of, of uh, interest and expertise, which is Latin America. And, um, well, um, yes, and then with, within Latin America, the African diaspora, but also a little bit the indigenous populations. Um, yeah, we can start with specialists like shamans, for example, different types of healers, in the Andes and in the um, in in the Andes and also in the lowland areas, coastal rainforest, and um, song, well anywhere between the use of what we would consider chant to song itself uh, often serve as vehicles for for those healers to be able to mediate between worlds, oftentimes is connected to their cosmology, for example. So um, the, the specialized healer would often uh, sit between worlds and communicate with the divine or the spirit um, world or with the ancestral spirits, which might often be embodied in the plants and in the natural landscape, for example. So a lot of those songs that they sing will all will necessarily invoke the ancestors, um, the whatever spirits are helping them, the spirit animals, and maybe even the natural landscape. And they would often take the form of, if you look at the song text of, of the, the Icaros, the songs that are used by the shamans in the lowlands for the ayahuasca ceremonies, for example, you know, most of people, more, when we talk about ayahuasca and those ceremonies, which is kind of popular today for, for tourists uh, wanting to experience alternative healing modalities, the emphasis is usually placed on the plant and ayahuasca, which is that sure, yes, that's very important. But people often forget about the the role of music and song in that, uh, because without the shaman, and the shaman again uses song as a vehicle to be able to mediate and help to mediate those worlds and to affect um, healing in the 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 people who he's working with. Um, um, largely because they're able to um, call into being that which they would like to um, see, right? So to, to, to transform something from a state of, of uh, from one state to another, right? So when we're talking about physical healing, you're transforming, some, you're bringing that person back into health, which is the work that a medical doctor would do, right? Uh, ideally. Can I just interrupt you for a second? If you could clarify for our listeners what shamanism is. It's more of a concept uh, from what I understand. And it's not only characteristic of a particular region of the world. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The term shaman itself, um, well, it comes very specifically in anthropology from um, a from Siberia, mm -hmm. is my understanding. And then what anthropologists have done is they've broadly applied that term to other similar specialist healers that they that they've seen in other parts of the world among indigenous populations and it's so widespread a phenomenon that it has just kind of become 
the term, uh, even though if you go to the anthropological literature, of course, you're going to see very, they'll talk about it in terms of the, the specific language that's used there, right, locally. Uh, but generally speaking, in the academic world, we just refer to it um, still as shamanism. And um, it's become so widespread a term that it's been adopted even by those by those healers, those specialist healers, um, to refer to themselves just because they know that people are familiar with that term. So it's not uncommon. If you were to go to Latin America, you would probably hear someone refer to themselves as a shaman and they don't have a problem using that shaman. It's just a kind of lingua franca now, I think not only among academics, but shamans. But what makes a shaman unique and um, because within any within any community, within any culture, you'll you'll find different types of healers. And but the shaman, what makes the shaman unique is that they are very specialized and they have they um, have access to esoteric knowledge. Oftentimes, a shaman is called to be a shaman through unnatural or what we would consider a super a supernatural, either they're called by their ancestors through dreams or through certain experiences like traumatic, traumatic experiences, or they may have like a physical illnesses that can't be explained by modern medicine. So when they begin that healing path, eventually they'll end up, they'll realize, or they'll be told by another specialist that this is what's happening and so along that healing path, they'll, they will meet with someone who can serve as a mentor, um, which will be usually um, their, their, another shaman who will teach them that esoteric knowledge. And it could also be um, that that shaman undertakes that, um, that learning with their um, ancestral spirits or, so it's a combination, right? So it's, um, yes, it's, it, they will necessarily need to learn all the, the natural healing remedies that, 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 that other specialists or other healers would be familiar with. Uh, we've all had probably those uh, people in our family who know how to work with herbs, for example, and food in general. So yeah, they would necessarily need to have all that knowledge on top of that specialized knowledge that comes from their connection with the, um, the supernatural world.
We just heard Sawaringui by Segundo Conejo from the album Musica de Ecuador. Today we are speaking with Dr. Francisco Lara. Dr. Lara is an ethnomusicologist and musician focusing on the music and culture of Latin America, Afro-Latin America, and music, health, and wellness. Now, I know that there are people in different environments that use both their knowledge of traditional healing techniques and modern medicine. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, it's actually really fascinating because these are conversations that have been happening in in um, in Africa and in Latin America, and I'm sure in, in most other parts of the world. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest, uh, I, I know medical doctors in in Ecuador, for example, and um, they're very conscious that the, the doctors and the medical community in general as a whole in Latin, or at least in Ecuador, is very conscious of the fact that they have to engage with local healers and specialists like shamans um, in order to be able to deliver quality and effective care uh, to people in outlying areas. And, and th- that's the reason why, right? Because there aren't there simply aren't enough doctors to be able to reach everyone. Um, so especially in the rural areas. Plus, I think there is a growing recognition even among doctors, the medical community and the scientific or well, let's just leave it at the medical doctors in in places like Ecuador that um, whether we consider it, uh, whether we actually believe in what's happening or whether it's a placebo culture and a person's belief system play an important part in in that individual and in a um, community's healing. So they've learned to actually engage in earnest dialogue to work with them to be able to work with local beliefs and healers and belief systems within those belief systems to be able to affect uh, care. Now, that said, I, 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 and I think this partnership is important in part because the shamans too need to recognize or not need to, they, ha- they have recognized and they do recognize when something is beyond their scope. So oftentimes when a, when you, a shaman or a, or a specialist healer of that sort is invoked, um, and I, I should say this too, shaman, shamans sometimes do serve as spirit mediums. That's another thing that makes a uh, shaman important, right? They serve as a bridge, they communicate, but they also allow the ancestors and the spirits to communicate through them. So um, when they're involved in healing, it's often the case that they are able to be so effective in their healing practices because they're dealing with illnesses that are, are not quote unquote natural per se. They are. um, So for, for example, it's very often the case that in these belief systems um, we have a different conception of health and of health and wellness, right? So in our, in our Western society, you know, we, we're still largely looking at the body in a very mechanistic way. So when something happens, it's a result of something um, going, there's, there's something like a germs or bacteria or something that are invading our body. And so the natural cure would be to remove that, or, you know, it's, it's very mechanistic, right? We can, we can take apart, we can isolate something and, um, we can affect healing in that specific area, like thinking of surgery, uh, specifically, right. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that or that that's wrong, but if you go to, uh, Latin America, for example, or other parts or anywhere where you have these um, more kind of um, different relationships to um, the ancestors and to the natural world, 
Uh, we have a conception of health and wellness that's integrally connected to these things. So oftentimes if someone is ill, it could be taken as a sign that there is an imbalance of some sort, right? That there is an imbalance in, there could be an Im, um, some sort of imbalance, not only with that individual, but in society as a whole. It could be symptomatic of something else that's happening there, right? So there's, you. in order to correct that, you have to bring things back into balance, right? Um, so it could be that we're not um, spending enough time uh, balancing just to be, very kind of generic about it, but not, not honoring our ancestors, um, not uh, tending to certain uh, aspects of uh, that would be considered important to our, our history or culture. So if though, if those are, out, if these things are out of balance, um, then, um, you know, the ancestral spirits, um, well, there, there are many different ways that this could play out. In some cases, it could be the intervention by um, ancestral spirits and by divinized um, ancestors. So it could be malevolent in that regard. Um, but oftentimes, you know, in a lot of these worldviews, too, we're not looking at like, uh, quote unquote, good and evil. We're looking at um, just different energies and a balance of energies, right? So um, yeah, so foods are important, colors are important, ritual, um, music and dance in general are important. And then, of course, um, so there's a lot of maintenance work that happens. If you look at Latin America as in particular, there's a whole calendar of, of festivals that ha happen in the indigenous communities that link uh, the pre-Hispanic pre uh, worldview with the, um, you know, the Western Catholic worldview. And um, it's very interesting because all of those, within each one of those festivals, it's a whole calendar, a calendrical cycle that follows the, 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 the cycle of the agricultural cycle, the, the, the solstice and the, you know, all of the sun, the sun and the moon, and, um, but also the Roman Catholic calendar. It all lines up really well, actually.
We have just heard the British Nigerian Kota Virtuoso, Tunde Yegede, perform Money Day from his album Heritage. Today we are speaking with Dr. Francisco Lara. Dr. Lara is an ethnomusicologist and musician focusing on the music and culture of Latin America, Afro-Latin America, and music, health, and wellness. And um, within each one of these festivals, there are so many different rituals and different rituals of respect. And all of these things happen that it's just almost overwhelming. And um, but people and you, you might wonder, well, why do people engage in these sorts of things? Well, it's because it's it's part of what they do, not just because of tradition and history, but this is the work that they do. And oftentimes they when I've talked to people in some of these contexts, they do call it work. They're working during these festivals when they go out to play music and they dance in the squares all night long um, and they exchange food and drink. Um, they're working. They're working to maintain a very delicate balance that is um, their 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 cosmology, their their particular world. They're actually creating and reinventing the world as they go through these different cycles. And yeah, we could we could call it symbolic, um, metaphorical. Um, they're, they're you know an analog, but if you look at it from their perspective, they're quite literally refashioning their world. Um, through all of these different activities and rituals involved, you know, including music and dance. So that's what people are doing on the daily. So when something happens and maybe a malady um, befalls an individual or there's something that's, there's a crisis in the community, these are things that can be addressed. Um, A spirit, uh, or excuse me, a, a specialized healer like a shaman or a medium could be consulted and they could say through their connection with the spirits and the ancestors that, um, yeah, well, the problem is uh, X, Y, or Z, right? That there's something going on that we're doing or not doing as a, as a individually or as a community or we're, you know, that, that needs to be addressed. And so therefore we can correct this through whatever um, tools and uh, means they have available to them. So that might mean, you know, um, doing, and, and usually it'll take some sort of ritualistic form, right? So the ayahuasca ceremony is a good example of that. Um, the ayahuasca ceremony is a little different though, because it is more of what we would consider uh, shadow work. So um, a lot of, and that's, I think why a lot of people here in the Western world are very interested in um, kind of going along the shamanic path, because this is the sort of thing that a shaman would actually do as a part of their own healing journey but it takes you deep within. Right. And so, yeah, when you think about hallucinogenics in general um, you know, it's, it's not for the purposes of, of having those um, you know, bad trips. Right. But um, you know, there's, there's, if, if, if for a shaman, at least working with their guides, be it the plants or the spirits or the, you know, the ancestors, um, they they can reach a certain level of understanding that I think has um, ha- has made um, a certain level of understanding of you know their place in the world in the cosmos and their relationship to the natural world that has I think um, really gotten the attention of medical doctors and scientists. Here in the Western world, I, every, every now and then I'll, you'll look at TED Talks where, you know, you have shamans talking with quantum physicists, you know, because their perspective on the world is not so different at the end of the day, it seems. 
We've just heard Alla Lake from Tunde Yegede's album titled Heritage. Today we are speaking with Dr. Francisco Lara. Dr. Lara is an ethnomusicologist and musician focusing on the music and culture of Latin America, Afro-Latin America, and music, health, and wellness. I mean, it's very interesting. You, you mentioned at one point that it is, are they not just metaphorical explanation of things? But in terms of clinical applications of music, music in the Western world, for example, we know that music has been used in healing, you know, since the beginning of the recorded time. And then the 18th century came, the age of enlightenment. Now we suddenly had to have the proof that things, are, things have a particular effect, but science wasn't on the level where it was possible to measure anything like that. So it seems like things were on hold for like 300 years. And then suddenly the science, now we can do clinical research on many of these things. And we can show that they actually do work. And we have a much clearer idea as to why they work. Can you tell us about some of the parallels in healing practices when it comes to music in different cultures? Sure. Um, well, yeah, well, we've been talking quite a bit about this uh, specialist healers. Um, you know, there, there are certain models where in those cases, um, music is, can be used in a variety of ways. So music can be used to make that connection with the divine. Um, music can be used to um, call upon the spirits to come and um, uh, intervene, right? Um, well, in, in this case, when we're talking about a spirit medium, for example, it quite literally, if we're looking at Santeria um, or um, Haitian voodoo, or Candomblé in Brazil, Santeria is from uh, Cuba, by the way, there you have, you know, very specific rhythms and instruments devoted to specific uh, deities who are divinized ancestors, and how you call them down, how you allow them to be present with you is through the music. Um, mm -hmm. If you go to uh, these are uh, Afro Latin American um, traditions, and obviously they their 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 roots lie in Africa, so West and Central Africa. Um, so if you go to West and Central Africa today, those are still very much those beliefs and those practices are still very much present um, there as well. Or you can see, um, you know, obviously they've transformed over time. Um, so you know, for example, if you go to Zimbabwe. Um, and you, you know, I don't know if you know Paul Berliner's book. Um, it, this was from the, I think, 1970s, early 1980s. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, um, yeah, with the Mbira, right? The Mbira Zavadzimu, it's a very, it's the same idea. You have different instruments, they're not percussive instruments per se, but there, there you have a, um, uh, what do they call that? Uh, a thumb piano, the Mbira Zavadzimu, mm -hmm. the Mbira of the ancestors. So there's there's that element, right? So you have this idea that somehow music connects us with the divine. Um, then in other instances, you have the idea that, uh, well, even if you don't believe in divinized ancestors per se, where um, the, the sounds and the vibrations themselves can be thought of as therapeutic and healing. So mantras, the use of mantras all throughout the India and uh, that part of the world. Um, the, the Yeah, just to add, I mean, they're considered to be, have healing properties because they do. Now we know scientifically as well that they do. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, if you want to make connections with uh, Western Europe, I mean, um, our, you know, you don't, when you think about Gregorian chant, I mean, and mm. that's essentially, uh, or prayer in general, right? The Psalms. 
Um, those were sung prayers. Um, they're those at the end of the day, they're not so different. You know what I mean? There, of course, you don't have that same conception that they're, um, that they're, they have he- necessarily healing therapeutic properties, but the, the idea of prayer and of in- intoning prayers and, um, uh, I think at the end of the day has that kind of effect, right? Um, I would argue at least that um, even just on an individual level beyond the, um, yeah, you know, w- w- on an individual level, the use of song to help us through difficult times to help to soothe another person. So the use mm-hmm. of lullabies, for example. Just to add about the, just to add about the chants. I mean, we also, there, there have been a lot of study done of use of sound at particular frequency to to produce certain results so right. i mean in terms of in that's very interesting chant is, is a very interesting example because you you very much stay within certain frequency consistently throughout the chant so that that is that inevitably would have a particular result oh yeah absolutely yeah so no you got me thinking about a, a number of different things so we're talking about sound and vibration but there's also in, in you know if you move further east then you um there's also um a consideration of silence right of the the opposite and the balancing of of sound with silence um mm-hmm. i i mean i think that's at the root of of music period right how do we create a sense of motion in music generally speaking um the these alternations right the balancing of sound and silence so rest and repose right Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, breath work is becoming very popular right now in connection with meditation and mindfulness and, uh, much of music in the Eastern world, uh, definitely we can consider that, um, those, those kind of musical expressions of those same ideas. I mean, it's all connected. It's, it's based on the rhythms. Pranayama yeah. and these traditions are all based on the rhythms of, of, of breathing. Yeah. And music absolutely. affects our autonomous system and with entrainment and everything else. So, I mean... It is amazing how much everything is interconnected that way. And right now we know scientifically enough to see these connections, even though we are just scratching the surface. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, though, you know, we we here in the Western world tend to think about music largely in terms of uh, entertainment, but... You know, the, the use of music mm-hmm. as entertainment is global, right? It, obviously, you know, when you add the profit side of things, that's a very different thing, but uh, the commercial side of things. But uh, nonetheless, music has always been used as a form of entertainment. But again, like if you take a deeper look at that or really just kind of reflect on that, what does that really do for us, right? We, we often talk about health and wellness when we find ourselves out of that state but when we more and more mm-hmm. we are entering more a conversation about preventative medicine so what about music and uh even music for entertainment purposes as a kind of preventative uh sort of medicine yeah. on an individual and collective basis right so and that gets me thinking about what happens in latin america with all these festivals and all the music rituals that happen these are things that they're doing to maintain a balance um, that allow them to just be okay in the world, to to be able to walk through life with a bit more ease and grace. You know what I mean? So um, I, I think there is a, a lot more to even like children's games and songs. 
um, uh, I, we can't, we shouldn't be overlooking um, those sorts of things when we talk about music's connection with health and wellness because it's it's um, it's universal. Uh, I think there's also something to the idea of musical play in every culture. You will have yes, you have your um, you have your maybe your classical traditions. You have genres. Um, to work within, you have idea, you, there might be like a specialist categories where only certain people do this, but there's always, everywhere you go, there's always going to be a certain mm -hmm. level of music that's available to everyone to participate in. So communal music making, even within probably these broader structures, right, of where there is, uh, there are specific genres, but people have the opportunity to engage with that uh, communally or individually and within that add their own unique voice or perspective whether through like free free improvisation what we would consider free free improvisation or improvisation within a structure right um or or, or what we might consider very adding variations right so I, I think that those are large those are that, that in the ethnomusicological literature is often talked about in terms of you know um community, you know, community structures, political structures. Uh, the, now they've been making connections, I think, with ecology in connection with that. But also for me, I think that that that's important for health and wellness. Uh, in music therapy, in Western music therapy, one of the biggest things across all the literature is music's ability to allow individuals to engage with the community, right? To engage with others be you know and that's important obviously for bringing certain people out of isolation to help affect healing well that's what we're doing when we're doing these communal music making uh, activities so whether it happens in a church or in a festival or just between kids in a playground you know that that's kind of bouncing off the idea of what i was just talking about music for entertainment um but there too it goes beyond entertainment what happens in a church for example with gospel i think that's really um valuable um, in terms of, you know, not only fostering community, but helping, but as far as this, uh, you know, if we do want to talk about in terms of preventative medicine, and obviously in terms of, in, in, in moments of crisis, it becomes that much more clear how it helps a, an individual to heal. I mean, it's so often that we hear people say, you know, uh, uh, popular musicians and artists, if it weren't for music, I wouldn't be here today sort of thing, right? Music literally saved me. Um, you hear that a lot. And I think it's, um, I think that's true worldwide. I, I do think that there is something special about music in that regard, but I also think it goes beyond music. Um, so everywhere you go in the world, music will always be accompanied by movement and dance. Um, so I, I try to, at least with my students, try to impress upon them and get them to think more broadly. You know, what is the connection between music and dance and these other forms of expression? Because yes, at the end of the day, there are there are other uh, tools and vehicles that we have, uh, or there are other means for us to be able to express ourselves. And I think at the end of the day, that's really important for us to be able to express ourselves in some meaningful way, uh, even if we don't or aren't able to communicate that, um, you know, using using our our words. Don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Do a 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 do a. It don't mean a thing. All you gotta do is sing. Do a 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 do a. Makes no difference if it's sweet or hot. Give that rhythm everything you've got. Oh, don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. Do a do 
what you 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 what it don't gonna be no thing if it ain't got that swing finish our interview today with the sounds of Duke Ellington's It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing. Pacho, thank you so very much for being with us today. And I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Jacques. I really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. And so we come to the end of today's program. Today, our guest was Dr. Francisco Lara. Dr. Lara is an ethnomusicologist and musician with pedagogical research and performance interest in the music and culture of Latin America, Afro-Latin America, and music, health, and wellness. He's on the faculty at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. Until next time, stay healthy and happy, and keep listening.